Revelation chapter 5. So we've kind of had a monumental shift here in Revelation. In chapter 4, verse 1, it says, After this, after the ages of the church, so we pretty much uh, the times of the church there, chapters 2 and 3 dealt with the church. <clears throat> we got a lot out of that. And now it's shifting. It says, After this I looked, and before me, this is chapter 4, verse 1, was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And so from this point forward are future events. Things are going to happen in the future. Things yet to come. And John has been translated into uh, the, the spirit realm. He's standing before the Lord in the throne room of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as we read about last week, there was just this crazy scene. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. God is reigning and ruling. We do not have the throne that we sit on thinking we're ruling over our own lives. Eventually, we will give an account to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And here he is. John stands before him and was response. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow <clears throat> uh, resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 uh, other thrones, and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. And from the thrones came flashes of lightning, rumble, and peals of thumber, thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Uh, also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in the front and the back. And they were first, uh, the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and day, day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Why three holies? An illusion there. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor to thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they were created and have their being. So this amazing scene before the throne, you've got these four living creatures. First of all, he's ushered into the throne room. And as we look back to the tabernacles I mentioned last week, you can see that it's just kind of like a shadow of, of, of the true heavenly kingdom. As you entered into the tabernacle, there was a, the basin of water was right there before. It. And then, you know, symbolizing the word of God and the washing of the hands, you get the glassy sea going on. And you, and you, you bust in the doors. Well, you wouldn't just bust in the doors. The priest would bust in the doors. And they'd open it, and they'd look left, and there would be this, this menorah with, with, with seven, different, uh, seven different candlesticks kind of stuck on it. And this flame that would not go out, they'd keep it night and day, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And obviously a little picture of the church there, that we are not to survive apart from the Holy Spirit. We are birthed of the Spirit of God, amen, on that day of Pentecost. And the right, they had the showbread, oh, you know, the bread of life, Jesus Christ. And as you went, look straight ahead, there was the, uh, the veil. 
There was a veil separating the holy of holies, the very presence where God developed. And in that holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. Inside had the tablet of the law and the bud of, budding Aaron's, Aaron's rod and some manna, all symbolic of Jesus Christ. And then you had these creatures, these gold creatures, these gold angels, these, these things we're reading about right now, covering this Ark on top of it. And then on top of that, that, uh, that Ark is called the mercy seat, the bema seat where Christ would, would reign. And all this is just a picture. We look at these earthly things and we think, what's all this about? This is all kind of weird. Why does it have to be exactly so? And Hebrews tells us, because it is an exact, it's, it's, it's a replication of the true reality of heaven. And so John is transported into the true tabernacle, the true heaven. He's sitting there looking at the Lord, seated on his throne, exalted. They were crying out, Holy, holy, holy. These four creatures, these cherubim, these, these high orders, ranking angels. Uh, the, Satan was, was one of them, as you read in Ezekiel chapter 1 or 10. I can't remember. No, 28, sorry. And, and he fell from this position as he was a false worship leader. As he found this worship, this glory, he didn't want to give it to God. He wanted to take it for himself. Very powerful being. But these creatures are all crying out. And you see the four, they had, they had eyes all over the place, all seeing, all knowing. They had wings that were protecting and covering the holiness of God. They're just, they're just awe-inspiring. So many times when, when uh, you'll see here in Revelation and also in other places, when, when humans are in, in contact with the divine, with, with spiritual beings, they just <laughs> fall down. The response is, you just become undone. And certainly before the throne, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he's just looking at this radiance. You can't even make it out because it's just so brilliant and bright. It says no flesh shall glory in his presence. Our bodies can't take it. Our human bodies can't take the spirit. We can't see that. So John is translated into this realm where he sees through the spirit this place, and he is alive and looking upon the eyes of God. It's amazing. Looking upon God It's just something we've all wondered and, and thought about. And, and God is sitting here saying, I want you to know about me. I want you to know where I am. That it's not exactly like where you are from. And I'm really in control. And right up here, it's, it, I am worshipped day and night. It does not stop. Down there, you reject me day and night. It does not stop. His kingdom is not our kingdom. His ways are not ways. As far as his ways are, they're so high above our ways. They're just totally different. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of man. And when and we want to know what God is like, and I keep bringing this back. If you want to know what the Father is like, when you look at, when, want to know what the Spirit and God are like, you just look to Jesus Christ. You see that he's full of grace. He's merciful. He's kind. He goes to those who are brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted this morning? This awe-inspiring God came off his throne and humbled himself and became a man, washed his disciples' feet, died on a cross for us. And he loves you so much. Loves you so much. Wherever you are, he cares for you. Keep this in mind. And then, as we continue in verse 5, as they were crying out because he was worthy to receive glory and honor and power, 
because he created all things. He was the author of our own life. And you're standing before the author. You're going, uh, you made me, you can take me out. And there's, a, there's an awe-inspiring factor there. The reality of what God says happens. He could say to you, go to hell, and you would go to hell. But he could say to you, your sins are forgiven. Enter into my rest, and you would be A-OK. And we are because he said it. Amen? So, they're standing there before the Lord. Chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne uh, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. And I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. A lot of different thoughts about what the scroll are. Some think it's the Old Testament and the New Testament together or fulfilled prophecies. Some think the scroll is God's claim of divorce against Israel. Some think that the scroll is God's sentence against the enemies of the church. Some think that the scroll is the text of the book of Revelation or the next few chapters. I mean, there's just a lot of conjecture. And some think, and this is kind of where I hold to, is, is, is that, that it's the title deed to the earth. You know, this is an attractive idea, I, I believe, especially because the coming time of tribulation will end with Jesus ruling on the earth. But it's hard to demonstrate this with certainty. The best idea, the best connection that this is the title deed to the earth comes in the story of Jeremiah. If you remember... Uh, whenever a sale of a property, a Jewish sale, a Jewish sale of a property, uh, there are always two deeds that were drawn up. Uh, one deed was sealed and put away for a, it, you know, in a safe place, and the other one remained open and was kept by the person who sold the property. When you wanted to redeem it, you brought both the open and the closed deed, by having, uh, and by having the open one, you proved that you had the right to redeem the land. This is kind of a very Jewish way of doing things. If you rem- and then you would break the seals, and as you would open it up, you'd see what the terms of the deed were, and you'd have to fulfill them. And if, if you fulfilled all those deeds as you broke the seals, then you could go ahead and claim back the land that was yours. And if you remember in Jeremiah 32, uh, Jeremiah, you know, very politically correct prophet here, prophesied not to fight against the Babylonians, but to allow them to take the children of Israel into captivity. Remember that? Don't fight against this army. You're going to get slaughtered. Let them come and take you. God said we're going into captivity. By the way, we're going into captivity for 70 years. So don't fight or you're going to die. And so he was arrested and thrown in that pit, right? He also prophesied, you know, 70 years and we're out of here. God's going to come redeem us. So in good faith, he felt that he should redeem his uncle's land that was up for redemption. And so he did. He went through this process. The next day, his nephew asked him, hey, you know, I'd like you to redeem my uncle's land. And he knew it was the Lord's. He said, okay, he wrote these scrolls. He said, take them, put them in a jar. And when we come back to the land, our, our relatives can come take that land. And so they took the two title deeds and they did that. And so the scroll here in Revelation 5, I believe, is the title deed to the earth. But again, <clears throat> uh, take, that, take that lightly. Study for yourself. That's just my opinion. That's not what it says. It says that there was a scroll, Right? And so you're kind of looking around scriptures, looking for where there's a scroll, and you kind of, you scroll and you kind of put, it, put two and two together, right? So what it says is there's a scroll. And what we know happens is as he busts open the scroll, things start to happen. And that's what we need to focus on. 
that it's God's scroll, it's his will that's about to happen, and he's wanting to let us know what's in the scroll and what's going to happen. And the focus is on who is worthy to open the scroll. Amen? So we put our eyes back on Jesus as we do this. <clears throat> Jesus was the role of the Redeemer. Something interesting as, as we look at that title deed, if I just want to play with it for just a few more minutes. Uh, my thought about this, the scroll here in Revelation 5 about being the title deed. The earth belonged to God. He gave it to man. said, have dominion, have authority over it. And what happened? Yeah. Genesis 3 happened. Lost. Dominion. As we see Jesus when he's tempted by Satan, what does Satan say to him? Hey, come down, bow and worship me, and I will give you these kingdoms. Jesus did not dispute it because they were his. He's, Jesus called him the prince, prince of this world, the, 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 the god of this world, so many things. So Satan is in control of this realm. Obviously, God has super authority. We read that in Job. Anything that has to happen has to go through him. But for some reason, Satan has some control down here. So we look at the mess that's going on. We don't need to blame God. We look at sin. We look at death. We look at us, our decisions. We look at the enemy. You know, some of the, sometimes the worst judgment that God can, can put upon us is just to leave us to ourselves. Imagine taking your kids and going, all right, just live whatever you want at age 10. What a crazy life they're going to have. It's going to be a hard life. Probably going to die young. You know what I'm saying? Judgment. And we reject God, we reject God, we reject God. We say, no, God, I'm going to do it my way, not your way. And we think we have it all answered. I'm going to marry who I want to marry. I'm going to go do what I want to do. And we start living the way we did. And by God's grace, he pulled me out of the flames. But that ends in death. Anyone else say amen to that? The younger people, you're, gonna, you're like, no, my parents are stupid. Or, you know, sorry, I don't want to say that word. <clears throat> got to PG it, right? They're, they don't know what they're talking about. They have no clue. you got to understand. They've done five million times. They don't even tell you half of what went on. All right? For your own, you know. It's just you don't need to know. And they just, yeah, we forgot totally. <clears throat> High school, what was that, you know? But seriously, to walk with the Lord is the best thing that could ever happen to you. And to the flesh... It seems boring. The flesh, it's boring to follow God. It's so exciting to go live life the way I want to live it and about me, 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 me. In the end, that leads to death. God's world is upside down. When you follow him and you follow him with your whole heart, he will give you the deepest desires of your heart. The only thing is you don't even know what those desires are. The Bible says that your heart is so wicked and deceitful, you don't even know why you're doing what you're doing. Paul talks about it. <clears throat> those things I don't want to do, those I end up doing why do I do that? Oh, wretched man that I am. You don't know what's best for you. God knows what's best for you. And your parents probably know what's best for you. They care about you. They've invested a lot of money and time. Believe me. They care for you. They love you. Listen to them. Listen to what the Word of God has to say. Wait for that person that God has for you. Don't, 
don't wait, don't mess it up. There's enough mess that, you know, like, how many, what's the percentage of people get divorced today? 50, 60%? It's no different among the church than it is in the world. How many of you come from broken homes? Raise your hands high. We don't need any more. And believe me, it's hard enough when you're a Christian. Amen? When you have the same set of values. Because then you're just dealing with yourself. And I, I'm not condemning any, anybody in here. God's, God's, we've, all, we've all fallen short, right? I'm not doing that. I'm just saying, for you who haven't made that decision yet, look to the Lord. He knows the exact person you need. He knows the exact situations you need to be in. He knows what career or what path He's chosen for you. He knows everything about you. He formed you. He made you for His will and His glory, it says right here. Let Him have it out. Bow your hearts to Him today. Humble that, that prideful spirit before Him and let Him do amazing things. You know, just personally, I... I didn't even know who I was when I graduated high school. I was just out of my mind. I almost died. You know, serving Matt. Came to the place where I was, you know, just broken hearted. And I think that my head was going to explode. I was walking around crazy. I know you guys still think so, but I mean, I was walking, (laughs) I was walking around and, and, and the Lord rescued me. It was a long process and it was hard. He said, follow me. He wasn't going to take everything away in a second. He wasn't going to give me all I wanted because that's how I've been living. He wanted to develop character in me, something that I didn't have, something that this generation lacks. The instant gratification is going to kill us, guys, gals. And I'm just saying the Lord reached down and he pulled me out, spoke to my heart. I didn't even know that I was to be a pastor. I didn't even know that I was to be a worship leader. All I knew is that I was playing music for Matt. And the moment I set that down and I said, Lord Jesus, I'm messed up and I've got all these things going on, but I'm not going to write a song for Matt anymore. They're all for you. The moment I set it down, the music began to break through that ceiling. And it was always bouncing off the wall. I was trying to reach some emotional type of, you know, precipice or something. I just, it, just, it just fell short. But then when you truly worship God, when, you, when you're doing what you're mean to do, it just went and, I, and, I, and it, it changed me inside. I knew what I was created for. And there was a reason why I always was weird with trying to figure out what song lyrics meant and all this stuff because God had it in my heart that I was to figure out what the real message was. Why things work. There was a reason why I was allowed to go through the things through I went through with my life and my family and my wife. It's all for this. It's all for you. It's all for his glory, not Matt's. And I am, you know, with you in this. And I'm telling you, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Bow your heart to him. Surrender everything to him. And it's not like your life's going to be all hunky-dory. That's a false gospel. Jesus died at 33. But you have life. Jesus says if you lose your life now, you're going to actually truly gain life. You'll have it. But if you try to hold on to your life, you will lose it. You will lose it. And when Jesus says it, it happens. 
all through Scripture. So Jesus' role when he came to this earth was that of redeeming. He redeemed us. That means he purchased us back. That's a transaction that happened. You cost something. You cost God his only son. And he willingly, lovingly gave. For God so loved, he gave. And his love is always associated with agape, that unconditional love. Just looked at you, saw the mess that you're in, and said, I love you. I'm buying that whole thing. And I'm going to redeem it. And I'm going to use it for my glory. And I'm going to, not only that, I'm going to fill them with me. And I'm going to show them things that they've never experienced before. And guess who's going to get the glory in the end? God, the Father. It's beautiful. That's what we're made for, created for, in whatever fashion God's made you. I hate math. Some of you are math maniacs, right? What has God made you for? What has he called you to? Some of you are artistic. Some of you are musicians. Some of you are thinkers. Some of you are dreamers. Some of you are 80 years old. He's not done. He's just started with you. Look around you for your mission field. It's there. Amen? It's not over. And the pain you're going through, the things you're going through are all, as James talks about, can be used for his glory. Let him shine through you. Satan tempted Jesus with all the kingdoms in the world. Bow down and worship me. But Jesus did not argue. And Satan, the world is in Satan's control. When you receive Jesus, you become an alien to this world. It's not your home anymore. Satan rules this world. The price to redeem this world was the blood of Jesus Christ. Adam died because of his own sin, and every man since, except for one. Only one man died for the sins of others. That was Jesus, a descendant, a relative of Adam. He redeemed the land. In Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then, in his joy, he went and sold it, sold all he had, and he bought a field. What is the field? It's the earth. What is the treasure? And who's the one who sold everything? to buy the treasure. It's not the dirt he's concerned with. It's the treasure. It's you. This is Jesus. The earth is the field. You're the treasure, and Jesus gave everything. But in the end, that's kind of my take on it, but the best solution is to see the scroll as God's will, his final settlement of all the affairs of the universe. Barclay said that. Not Charles. I wish. But I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll. Everybody stunk. They couldn't do it. You know? Every four years, we're looking for people to, to open the scroll and change everything. And it's going to be all hunky-dory. It's going to be wonderful. Boy, every four years, I'm so disappointed. Man, we all kind of just stink, don't we? Our eyes have to go back on the Lord Jesus. This is not our home. This is not our kingdom. It doesn't mean we don't get involved. It doesn't mean we don't 
fight for the things that God's called us to believe in and, and, and to do. But I tell you, if you invest in this earth, you're going to absolutely end up being sad in the end. If your treasure's in heaven and it's all about Jesus and everything you do, you'll be happy. Have joy. Verse 5, then, then one of the elders said to me, Hey, don't, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then, wait, and then what? I saw what? A lamb. Wait, the lion of the tribe of Judah? And he looks over and he says, Then I saw the lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. That's very interesting. Him on the throne took it from him who was on the throne. Interesting that the elder described Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah. But when John sees him, he sees him as the lamb, as though it had been slaughtered. Perhaps when we go to see the Lord, maybe the first vision we'll see of him is the lamb who was slain. Something altogether different. Throughout the scriptures, the eyes talk about knowledge and wisdom, and the horns suggest power. The lamb has knowledge, wisdom, and power, and he's and, and fulfilled prop, uh, he's fulfilled prophecy perfectly. Seven horns and the seven eyes, you know. Uh, it says, uh, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. The Holy Spirit is not only the Spirit of God, you know, the Father, but it's also the Spirit of the Son. Uh, and, you know, in Acts 16, 7 and Romans 9, it says that. And the seven eyes of the Lord are a picture of the omniscience drawn from the prophet Zechariah and Zechariah 4.10 and 3.9. So we've got all these different imageries and pictures taken from the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit uh, Another picture. He's, he's drawn in there several times. I wonder how many times he'll be in there. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, this is verse 8, fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, a guitar. Not a harp. It's kind of more of a guitar. That's, that's my interpretation of it. Uh, it's, it's, it's more like a guitar. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God people the four living creatures the 24 elders they fell down before the lamb when the lamb takes the scroll and the response is immediate high-ranking angels and the elders we all fall down there's this worship that goes on each one of those those elders has a having a harp it's a, a zithern or a kind of guitar played with uh, played with a hand or with a pick uh, worship in heaven is accompanied by music of course this is where we started the idea of there being harps and all this weird stuff, but people take things way out of proportion. And the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Notice the elders have this; they have the golden bowls full of incense, the prayers of the saints. Obviously, there's different interpretations of what that might mean, but the, the important thing is that our prayers are before the Lord. Every single prayer that we've prayed every hurt we've had, every, every tear we've cried is before the Lord. And there's verses that say it rises up like sweet incense. He hears you when you cry. It's in his very throne room. He hears you. And what's so difficult is to wait for his timing. Amen? 
so difficult. Lord, why don't you do it now? Lord, come quickly, you know, or whatever it might be. Sometimes things wait. There's a time and there's a reason and there's a purpose to it that I don't know. Very difficult sometimes, but the golden bowl is full of incense. We see how precious the prayers of the saints are. And we see that connection of, of prayer and incense shown in Psalm uh, 141 too. It says, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. You know, that evening sacrifice, that sweet aroma that comes up before the Lord. And they sang a new song. Saying, uh, as all the elders, right? And it says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Now, who's, who's, who's doing that right now? Is it the angels or is it the elders? Elders. just want to help you out. Because we see in verse 11, then I looked and I heard the voices of many angels. We're going to get there in a second. But the song, the honors, the prince of redemption, you were slain. It honors the worker of the redemption. You have redeemed us. It honors the destination of redemption. You have redeemed us to God. Honors the payment for redemption by your blood. It cost him his blood. How'd you like to pay for something in blood? Your blood. How about someone who doesn't even like you, but will? Not very fun. Song honors the scope of redemption. Every tribe and tongue and people and nation in the length have made us kings and priests who are God. That's awesome forever and ever. And the song honors the result of redemption. And we shall sing. I'm mean, sorry, we shall reign on the earth. We're going to reign on the earth with the Lord. We're almost done here. And then I looked up, verse 11, I heard voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne, the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. So 10,000 times 10,000 just means innumerable. Can't count them. Lots of angels. Now, it's combining the worship of the Father and the Lamb. You don't worship anybody but God. Correct? And if God is that rule, you know, that God is in charge of making that commandment, do you think he's just going to let it fly in the throne room of heaven? You shall worship no one else but your God, right? Stop worshiping the Lamb. He's not God. No, it is encouraged. They're all singing about him and to him and for him. The deity of Jesus Christ is one of the main things that's attacked by people who are not Christians but say they are. The Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the deity of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is a God among many. We're all kind of sons of God. And they just kind of, no, he is God. He's Elohim. 
the Mormons. You know, what a crazy thing. Really good people. Anybody met Mormons? Really nice people? They got all the family values going? But you know what happens below the surface in theology? It gets really twisted. Jesus is the spirit love, the brother of, Ju- uh, of Lucifer, Satan. And they all like, competed about stuff. And then they said, oh, I'll go down to redeem it. And Jesus went down to redeem it. But this planet, you know, Adam is God. It, basically, the end is if you get married in the temple and you have, and you have kids and all this stuff, you get married in, the, in their temple, uh, then when you die, you'll go to the celestial kingdom and you will have your own planet and you will have eternal relations with your wife and, and populate that planet. Space cadets, okay? This is what, this is what people who teach that stuff, including some presidential candidates, were pastors. You know, I'll just leave it out there. I mean, this is stuff. If you believe this, you are contrary to the Bible. It says, you know, I was talking with a friend this week. It says in uh, in, in Galatians, it says, hey, if if this is Paul talking, if I or even an angel from heaven were to come down and preach to you another gospel, let him be anathema, let him be thrown into hell for eternity. That's pretty strong language. And he repeats it again. I'm telling you again, guys, if even an angel from heaven or myself were to do this, we're going to just throw us into the pit. And who came and gave the tablets to Joseph Smith? An angel from heaven, Moroni. And even on the front of their little book, it says, Another Testament of Jesus Christ. I mean, come on now. But they get sucked in it because we all want the surface value. They're nice people. You've got the family values going on. You've got community. Nice people talking to each other. But when you get down to the end, there's always a little bit of truth in the lie, isn't there? I'm telling you, I'm hitting it hard because we, we get sucked into surface things in this culture. There's only one king. It's only one God, three persons. I don't know how to describe it. It's not in my dimension to be able to understand it. I am a human. He is eternal. And somehow he's described himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the, and the scriptures preach it. I believe it. Can I understand it? No. Do I need to understand it for it to be true? No. Do I understand You know that my father-in-law put together uh, nuclear power plants? And do I understand all that? No. But do I know it exists? Yes. Amen? Can't be this, uh, like Henry Morris said, uh, that, uh, there cannot be the slightest doubt that the Lamb is to be reckoned with God as God. <laughs> uh, Clark says, now if Jesus were not properly God, this would be idolatry, as it would be given to the creature what belongs to the Creator. The deity of Jesus. And after, let's, let's, let's end here in verse 14. After the angels and the elders and, and the creatures, they sing, it says, the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped him. That word worship in the ancient Greek is to lay prostrate. It's just to prostrate, to, to, to lay before another in complete submission. The scene, maybe the elders fell down on their knees, whatever it is, they're flat on their face. They just absolutely fall down before God. Forever and ever, and ever and ever, they worshiped him. The living God reigns eternally. And you know what? I know it seems boring, but it's not going to be. It's going to be the most exhilarating thing you've ever experienced in your whole life to the 10th millionth power, okay? It's going to be awesome. It's just going to be incredible. Hold on. 
As we go into next week, he's going to start busting open the seals, and it's going to all come unglued. It's going to all come unglued. It's going to get crazy. I watched as the land opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say like with a voice of thunder, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. What's going to go on? Read ahead. I'm also going to talk a little bit about uh, you know Israel and some other things next week. But let's, let's pray and let's go eat. Amen? Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are on your throne. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to become worshipers here and now. Lord, that you would place a song in our hearts, Lord, as a product of knowing you, of loving you and serving you. I pray that you create in us a life of worship, that we would be bowed down before you in our heart of hearts every day that there would be no rival throne. And Father, I pray that by your Spirit, Lord, you would show us what is competing with your worship, competing with your majesty, competing with your will in our lives. And church, I just exhort you, I encourage you to lay it down, to call it out and give it up. And God will give you what you need. We love you, Father. Bless our time. Bless this food we're going to have, Father. And just uh, be with our meeting, Lord. Be on our, on our lips, Lord. Be in our hearts. Guide this church. Guide these men that you've, you've placed over this body. That Not that we would lord it over, but that we would serve like Jesus served. To get down on our knees and wash people's feet. The greatest is the least in the kingdom of heaven. May we be that, Lord God. All of us. Thank you for the kingdom that's to come and that is now. Amen.